So have you ever walked into a room and immediately forgot why you walked into that room? Maybe you're having that moment right now. Hey, what am I doing here with all these people? Who's the balding guy on stage who's letting his hair grow out still? Hey, what is, what is it? Was I supposed to wear a cap and gown today? Because, you know, I'm, I'm a little confused. Sometimes we think of people walking into rooms and forgetting what they were doing there as something that just happens to older people, but that may not be necessarily true. A few weeks ago, a report came out and some research has been done on what they are calling the doorway effect, the doorway effect. What they did was researchers from the University of Notre Dame took 55 college students, young minds, They took those young minds and they trained them how to play this virtual computer game where they walked through this building. And they were supposed to go from room to room in this building, and they were supposed to carry different things when they were walking through these rooms. And so what happened was on the screen, a picture would pop up. And if the picture that popped up on the screen was what they had in their hands, they were supposed to take some kind of little clicker and click it, and it was supposed to say, yes, I'm holding that that I see the picture of. Sometimes they'd be out in the middle of the room and a picture would flash up on their virtual screen. Sometimes it would be right after they walked into the doorway that the picture would flash up on the screen. Well, then they took it out of the virtual world and they made it a real thing. It was an actual exercise. They, they put them into a building. And they had to go literally from doorway to doorway and they were still supposed to be carrying things. And the same thing happened, except this time it wasn't a screen. Somehow there was a system where people would ask them, hey, are you carrying blank in your hands? And they would do it sometimes when they were in the middle of the room, and they would sometimes do it right after they walked through the doorway. Now, here's what's interesting about the research. In both the virtual game and in the real-life exercise, they found the exact same thing. People forgot what they were holding in their hands as soon as they walked through the doorway. They they didn't know what it was. When they were asked, they they forgot what they were holding in their hand, but right after the doorway. The researchers believe that probably what's happening is somehow the doorway is a cutoff point in the brain. And and the cutoff point makes you think, okay, I've I've entered this other world and I've, I've lost focus. The cutoff point makes you lose focus. So, cue the piano music. Thank you, University of Notre Dame researchers for making me absolutely terrified to ever walk into the bathroom door at my house again. (laughs) Graduates, you're about to walk through a brand new door of life. This is a new world. It's a life that is fun, but it's also a life where you can lose focus. It's a fun time. It's an exciting time, but it is also a focus time. If you're graduating from high school, you're getting ready to step into a whole new world where you're going to have a measure of freedom that you've never experienced before. And if you're graduating from college, you're about to lose every ounce of freedom you've ever experienced in your life. So, you know, sorry to, you know, bring it to reality there, Griffin MC, but, you know, no, just kidding. These are good doors y'all are walking through, and this is a fun time, and we want to rejoice in what's going on in your life. But it is very true that this is a time where you could lose focus, where you could all of a sudden step into this next door and and forget what's important. So what is important? What's really, really, really important? Well, what if I were to tell you that the most important thing in your life right now is not graduation? What if I were to tell you the most important thing in your life is not whether you're going to college or not? 
The most important thing in your life is not whether you're going to go get a job and enter the workforce. The most important thing in your life is not who you're going to marry, where you're going to live, or what kind of car you're going to buy one day. And I didn't say those things aren't important, but I said they're not most important. So what's the most important thing in your life right now? And not just for grads, it's for all of us. What is the singular most important thing in your life right now? Apostle Paul was writing to some of his friends in a place called Philippi. And in the middle of his letter, he drops a huge truth bomb. And we're going to look at that truth bomb this morning. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Paul writes, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So how many things are all things? Well, I think it means all things, <laughs> everything. So every single morning that you wake up with a clean and clear face, and every single morning you wake up with a Farmville crop of acne on your face, both of those, all of them. All things would include every single test that you made an A on, and every single test that you made an F plus and a half on. That would have been my test. The half was always important to me. Every time your friends were cool to you, every time your friends were a jerk to you, every game that was won, every game that was lost, everything. The good, the bad, the ugly, the happy, the healthy, the horrible, the terrible, the terrific, and the tragic. Everything, all things. Everything that we think is important, everything that is actually important, and even the things that are not important, everything. Paul says take all of those things. And then we take all of those things and we, we put them over in the parking lot in a big, huge pile. And then we get a, a big piece of chalk and we draw a line right next to that big, huge pile of stuff. And then on the other side of that pile, we write two words, knowing Christ. Now, you may be thinking, all right, it's, you know, graduate Sunday. You know, pastor's got to give a little pep talk on how cool Jesus is. Listen, I, I, I promise with all this in me, this is not a pep talk. This is what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 16. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? If you don't know Christ, you lose. You can have the best degree in the world, but if you don't know Christ, you lose. You can hit the, the game-winning shot at the buzzer in Game 7 of the NBA Finals to win the championship, but if you don't know Christ, you lose. You can hit a walk-off homer in the bottom of the 10th inning at the 6th game of the World Series to win the whole thing, but if you don't know Christ, you lose. You can be an international celebrity with tons of money and wealth, but if you don't know Christ, you lose. You can go get a job and, and do well enough to buy a little piece of land and, and build a house and raise a family and retire when you're 65, but if you don't have Christ, you lose. This is life or death. It's, it's joy, it's pain. It's your soul being happy forever or your soul living in horror forever. Man, glad we came to church today. Thanks, Dal. Old pessimistic pastor, old downer Dow. I promise I'm, I'm not trying to bring you down. It's an exciting time for your life. What I'm actually doing is trying to bring our eyes up. See, that's what Paul's doing. Paul's trying 
to get his friends to see the stunning and awesome beauty of what it means to know Jesus Christ. He's trying to get them to see there's, there's really not a comparison to this. Look, you might be able to avoid going barefoot, but Air Jerry's are never going to be Air Jordans. It's not going to happen. You might be able to, to get from your house to the Snowball Hut on Friday night in a 1980 Ford Fiesta, which was my first car, but you will not be able to say, oh, a Ford Fiesta is the same thing as a Ferrari 488. There's no comparison. You might be able to wait seven hours and 15 days and 50, 11 years, but absolutely nothing is going to compare to knowing Jesus Christ. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And we aren't talking about knowing a religion. We aren't talking about even knowing this church. We're talking about knowing a person. I love how one pastor describes Jesus. John Piper writes, there's a person who's alive who laid down his life. He loves, he thinks, he feels, he wills. And even today, he has a body. That body came down from the cross, and when it rose from the tomb, though it had special qualities about it, it was recognized by his followers. They could touch it. It could eat fish to prove that it was not a ghost. So there is a whole person whom we're going to relate to forever and ever. He's alive today. He's at the Father's right hand. He is personal. He promised never to leave us or forsake us. He promised to be with us. He is here in this room right now by his Spirit listening to me. He is as close to you as the person next to you. He is real. He is a person He is a he. He is there. Do you know him? Not do we know things about Jesus, but do we recognize that Jesus? Do we know the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus that God describes? When we speak of the most important thing in life, I have to say this. The greatest reality and the most important reality in your life is not a diploma or a degree. The greatest reality is not even something like fame or fortune or or health. It's not a 488 Ferrari and it's not a 401k. The greatest reality in the universe, although all those things are great, the greatest reality in the universe, the most excellent reality in the universe, is the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ. You will find nothing else that compares to that. In fact, Paul describes it this way. He says the surpassing value of knowing Jesus is so surpassing that there's nothing that can be compared to it. It it just keeps outsurpassing itself. See, the whole story about Jesus, the whole gospel story, it, it builds to this big, huge point, this crescendo. And the crescendo is this. The greatest treasure in the universe is Jesus. Sam Storms writes this. The human soul wasn't created for boredom. We were shaped by God for the excitement that the revelation of his glory induces. We were fashioned for the fascination that the display of his goodness evokes. We were made for the happiness that the sweetness of Christ's tender mercies alone can impart. It's a great word. Excitement, fascination, happiness. I hope that if you get nothing else out of this day of encouraging you, it would be that your soul was made for excitement, fascination, and happiness. But not in your cars, 
and not in your boyfriends and your girlfriends, not in your family, not in your job, not in your career, not in your degree. Those things are fine and they will bring us happiness. But your soul was actually created for excitement, fascination, and happiness first and most in Christ. I don't know how we miss this, especially for those of us who have grown up in the church, but, but somehow we forget that knowing Jesus is excellent. That knowing Jesus is, is surpassing. And it's the kind of thing that changes your life. That's what Paul says next in verse 8. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Paul is not shooting from the hip here. He, he, he kind of gets what it means to lose everything. Here's the deal. Paul was an up-and-coming, rising buck. Man, he was a cool guy. He had a huge religious political future ahead of him. I mean, he stood to make a wad of cash. He was going to be rich just because he was that cool and that impressive and really knew how to do things. And then he met Jesus, and he lost all of it. Everything. Everything that he'd hoped for, everything that he was planning on doing, it was all taken away from him. And in fact, as he's writing this letter, he's in jail. (laughs) There's a little icing on the cake, right? So So he loses all the potential of what was going to happen in his life. Now he's writing a letter from jail, so he's lost his basic freedom. So what about us? How would we respond if we lost our job, if we lost our status, if we lost our money, if we lost our, our house and our car, if we lost our health, if we were in jail, I would think most of us would look up at God and go, hey, it's okay. Yeah, I'm good. I'm cool. No problem. <laughs> Let me just fess up for all of us. We, we probably wouldn't do that, at least not quickly. You know? We'd probably start this way. Hey, God, why didn't this work out like I thought it was going to work out? Hey, God, why is this happening? We might get mad. We might get angry. We might get frustrated. We might get bitter. We might get depressed. We might get a lot of different things. And I think that's exactly why Paul is writing this. I think Paul is wanting us to see, hey, there's this God. And this is kind of his thing. He comes in when your life is destroyed. And he pulls you out of the muck. He pulls you out of the misery. He loves you in a way that no one else can love you. And he reminds you, he helps you to see that knowing Jesus is phenomenal. That knowing Jesus Christ is not boring. It is abundant. It is fascinating. It is exciting. It is marked with happiness. I think sometimes we forget when we look at the truth of who God is, this really is what God does. One theologian put it this way. He described it like being on a shipwreck. When faced with the danger of a shipwreck, the crew throws everything overboard so that the ship can be made lighter and possibly help them towards safely reaching the harbor. So it's been about 30 years since Paul met Jesus when he's writing this. Okay, So 30 years from now seems... Millions of miles away from y'all. I feel like I just sat on this pew. Not this pew, you know, pew at my church. I feel like I just sat on this pew like yesterday, and it's been 25 years. God, I'm really old. So this picture, though, is that 30 years before Paul wrote this, he met Jesus. He's still hanging with Jesus 30 years later. It's not like he graduated from Christianity. It's not like he had a good time with Jesus for a few weeks or a few years and then he's moved on. 
No, Paul is still walking with Jesus. He's still spending time with Jesus. His relationship with Jesus is as strong as ever. And here in this moment, 30 years later, he's writing because he started throwing things overboard a long time ago. See, Paul didn't wait to the last minute. He, he started getting rid of things a long time ago. When he met Jesus, he made Jesus his treasure. So, question for your heart and my heart. How are you doing at treasuring Jesus Christ? Is Jesus your greatest treasure? Let me put it maybe in more specific terms. Do you treasure Jesus more today than you do since the first time you got saved? Do you treasure Jesus more than the day you got baptized? If you've been saved and if you've been baptized. Do you treasure Jesus more than the day you you join the church? How are you doing at treasuring Jesus Christ? Or are you just going through some religious motions? Paul didn't wait 30 years to throw stuff overboard. He started doing it right then. All right, the most important thing I could share to you guys this morning as graduates would be this. Don't go live your life and have fun and then get back into church 10 years from now. Don't do it. So dangerous for two reasons. You will miss the love of people who really care about you. They love you deeply. Even if you don't know half the people in this room, they pray for you. I've never been at a church that randomly prays for so many people they don't even know. You've been prayed for. And the second reason is the enemy hates you and he will do everything he can to convince you that whatever life you're living for the next 10 years is valuable. Don't do it. Don't do it. Today, let it be in your mind. I am going to start throwing stuff overboard today. Today, I'm going to start treasuring Jesus because he is the most surpassing value in the universe. It's the best message we could give you. We'll fail at a lot of stuff, but, but we really want to give you that. Paul didn't wait 30 years. He started treasuring Christ in that moment. And what kind of stuff did he get rid of? What was the stuff he threw overboard? He threw overboard stuff like pride and apathy, not caring. He threw stuff overboard like looking in the mirror too much. <laughs> Sorry, I did that when I was y'all's age. That's why I can say it. Um, I had a lot of brute Fabergé hairspray. Oh, man, that's probably why I'm losing my hair. Uh, too much brute. But Paul started throwing that kind of stuff overboard. He, he, he quit trying to make a name for himself. He, he quit trying to be super, super, super cool. And, and he just said, you know what? There's, there's something about this person, Jesus, that is worthy of my life. But then he takes things even deeper. Look what he says in the next part of verse 8. And I count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. All right, the parking lot just got completely different here. All right, Paul takes all of the stuff out of the one side of the chalk line, and he replaces it with rubbish. All right, so the word rubbish here can mean dog meat, garbage, or, wait for it, dung. Yeah, nice, huh? So Paul takes everything out of that side. He replaces it with some dung. Now, do we have the picture? Dung Christ. It's not our choice, is it? And it's exactly why he writes it that way. Now, he's not saying, oh, my family and my friends and my degree and my job and my house is a bunch of dung. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is this. He said, there is nothing in my life that is a bigger trophy than Jesus. 
There's never, nothing in my life that I, that I hold up and I say, this defines who I am more than Jesus. All the other things are great. All the other things are wonderful. I know as I sat in graduation Friday night, you know, with, with Bailey, my daughter, it was so interesting. I mean, I, gosh, some of these kids were amazing. I was, like, I, I was like, I felt like a loser. I was like, man, I was like, they, they've saved people's lives and they've built rockets. And uh, man, I mean, I mean, I'm just hoping I can not throw my biscuit on my jacket on the way to church on Sunday morning, you know? So what you do matters. And the things you will accomplish are fantastic. But we want you to know that the greatest trophy you can have is knowing Christ. I, I think Paul wants you to know that the greatest trophy you can have is knowing Christ. And, and he emphasizes it with just one more little exclamation point. Look what he says in verse 9. And that I may be found in him. What's your primary identity? Think about all the titles that some of us have. Husband, wife, father, mother, grandmother, grandfather, son, daughter, student, graduate, mime. There might be a mime somewhere in here. We have all kinds of titles, boss, supervisor, employer. But Paul is saying that if those are your primary identity, you are going to be a less than joyful person. He's saying that our primary identity needs to be in Jesus Christ. There was a king. He reigned in the Middle East about 2,800 years ago. His name was Joash. And Joash had this priest that was kind of his provider. I I, I mean, I've said this guy's name 75 times this week, and I'm still going to get it wrong. I'm not even going to say his name. I'm just going to call him a priest, all right? So this priest was his go-to guy for everything that he needed. And this is what the Bible records. Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days. Jehadiah. That sounds good. We'll go with it. Jehoiada. That's it. Jehoiada. Jehoiada the priest. It's my bonnet. It's messing me up today. So he did everything that God wanted him to do as long as Jehadoya was around. But then the priest died. And this is what the scripture says. After his death, the officials of Judah came and they bowed down to the king. And the king listened to him. So Joash is sitting. He's got the the guys coming to ask his advice. He's going to listen to their advice and what they tell him to do. And what do they tell him to do? This is what it says in verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 24. They abandoned the house of the Lord and they served idols. See, everything was fine when the priest was around. Joash didn't miss a beat when it came to honoring God. But then his priest died, and everything changed. Somebody put it this way. Like many children, Joash's knowledge of God was secondhand. It was a start, but the king needed to establish his own relationship with God that would outlast and overrule the changes in the advice that he received. Again, we don't want you to have second-hand religion. We don't want you to have trophies on your shelf with someone else's name on it. We, we want you to have your own trophy that says, I know Jesus Christ. We don't want you to be wrapped up in a world where you're pulled away from the church. If you're staying here, we want you to plug into this church. Hey, there's places for you to volunteer. You may not be in youth group anymore on Wednesday night, but maybe you need to start being a chaperone, you know? Maybe you need to start helping out in, in kids' church on Sunday morning or, or helping out in some other area. Or maybe you're going off to school. 
then find somewhere. Find a church. Plug into a church. Let, let a, a group of people, hopefully like us, just love you while you're in the next two to four years or six or ten, however long it takes you. You know, Find a church and plug in. Because here's the thing. We want you to have a relationship with God that outlasts and outrules all the changes in your life. And listen, there are going to be a lot of changes in your life. But the standard of having a relationship with Jesus Christ matters. Here's why. You weren't created for boredom. You might get bored some this summer if you're not working or you're not busy. You might feel like you're bored. But your souls were not created for boredom. In fact, everything about God's word says that your soul was created to enjoy Christ. So here's the thing. If you choose to treasure something besides Jesus then what you're going to do is mess up all the math in your life. And even worse, you're actually going to steal joy from yourself. That's true for all of us, right? Sometimes we forget that. If we choose to treasure anything more than we treasure Jesus Christ, the math in our life is going to be messed up. And we're actually stealing joy from ourselves. C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia and other writings said this. We have in our day started by getting the whole picture upside down. Starting with the doctrine that every individual is of infinite value. We then picture God as a kind of employment committee whose business it is to find suitable careers for our souls. In fact, however, the value of the individual does not lie in him. He is capable of receiving value. He receives it by union with Christ. There is no question of finding for the individual a place. No question. The place was there first. The individual was created for it. He will not be himself until he is there. Listen, we want you to go off to school, make good grades, make good friends. Or we want you to go get a job and work hard and make good products and make good friends. But more than anything, we want you to know, and all of us, the same is true. None of us were created just to go off to college. None of us were created just to go off and get a job. We weren't created just for work. We weren't created just for school. We weren't created just to get married and have a family. We were created according to the truth of God's word from before the foundations of the world. We were created to have joy in Jesus. He is the treasure. Graduates, you're walking through a door of life that is different. It's easy to lose focus right now. For the rest of us, guess what? As soon as we walk out this morning, the doorway effect will hit, right? We'll walk through the door. Why was I here? Where am I going? It's part of how life works, right? But the beauty of the gospel is that it keeps drawing us back to this one thing. And so to grads, we would say this. We want you to know that there is one thing that you need to carry with you in every room of your life. And that's the beauty of knowing Jesus Christ. And we tell you that because according to what God's word says, there is one who suffered and died so that he might rescue you, so that he might carry you through the last door of life. We have this truth of the gospel. There is no greater joy than knowing Jesus Christ. And we need to live it. 
and we need to love it. So if you remember nothing else from today, and it's okay if you don't, if you remember that I drove a 1980 Ford Fiesta, that's okay. It was baby blue, it wasn't red. But if you remember nothing else from this day, remember that your church just wanted to give you one reminder. That when it comes to the greatest treasure in this world, no matter where you go to school, no matter where you work, no matter who you marry or if you marry, we want you to know that there is no greater treasure than the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ.